We want to teach children and students to understand that this is a special animal. If I'm going to be involved with any kind of seafood, let's see that we're doing it responsibly because I don't want to eat the last specimen of that particular species. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. This is Annalise Corbin, your host of Learning Unboxed, back on the road. This time we are in Cape Town, South Africa. We are hanging out um, at the Pier and Wharf district within the beautiful, bustling city of Cape Town. And today we have an incredibly special treat and one that is near and dear to me and my background in maritime archaeology. We are going to be visiting with Russell Stevens, head of education of the Two Oceans Aquarium. And what makes this so spectacular is that the location of the Two Ocean Aquarium, as you will hear um, from, from Russell as we go through the interview, makes it the perfect location to be one of the most impactful education programs in the world. Uh, Russell and his team are out to save the planet. Um, And you're going to hear how they're doing that through their very, very creative marine sciences program. And I just want to preface a lot of this as we get ready to have the interview by letting you all know that not only is everything that you're going to hear from Russell um, very widely and freely available, we will post all of the resources as we go through. But more importantly, South Africa is the first country on the planet to legislate the saving of the oceans by creating a program option in the high school levels. Um, So folks can actually swap out fields of study and choose marine sciences as an option uh, towards their high school graduation. And it's a very, very innovative program. Russell and his team are deeply, deeply passionate. And so uh, we're going to go into the aquarium and record live uh, for the interview. So Join me as we step off the streets of Cape Town and into the Two Oceans Aquarium. So I'm very excited to be with my guest, Russell Stevens, who's head of education at the Two Oceans Aquarium. So, Russell, thank you very much for making time today. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. I'm thrilled to be here um, in the absolutely amazing classroom setting that you've created here at the Two Oceans Aquarium. So let's let's start for our listeners. They're coming from all over the world, and not everybody has had the benefit of coming to Cape Town. So start with a little bit about the Two Oceans Aquarium. What is this place and why? Two Oceans Aquarium started in 1995, same year that the South Carolina Aquarium opened. Hmm. It was put in this place because the Western Cape of or the Western South African region is regarded as one of the biological 
biodiversity hotspots on this planet. And that's because we have a really interesting current that is found off our west coast. It's called the Benguela Current. And while it's traveling in the Atlantic Ocean towards Angola, towards the north, it is assisted by the strongest upwelling you will find on this planet. Mm. 22 meters on average a day is the level of upwelling. That brings up huge volumes of nutrients. On the other side of our coast, on the east coast, is the strongest current that you find on the planet called the Agulhas Current. Because of the shape of Madagascar on the coast of the east coast of Africa, you will see this current being funneled down towards the south. And at that point, because this warm current gets as far south as it does, our south coast of southern Africa ends up having a mixing of this cold Benguela and upwelling waters and the Agalis current that is being brought down from the tropics. That leads to, of our whole planet, for example, 22,000 species that have recently been recorded of marine fishes. You will find 10% of them off the South African coastline, which is 3,200 kilometers long. Of those species, 10% are endemic. Mm. Wow. Marine invertebrates, similarly, 10% of all marine invertebrates found off on our, in our oceans are found off the coastline of South Africa, and 10% of them are endemic. Marine plants, sea plants, called seaweeds by some, mm-hmm. 10% are found off the coast of South Africa, and 10% are endemic. So this high level of endemism led the designers of the Two Oceans Aquarium to put together an aquarium which, apart from three or four species, this whole aquarium houses animals from local waters. (laughs) So it is the ideal locality for that. And so much opportunity to teach. Well... I was going to get to that, which is the most important reason as to why we exist, conservation and education. Um, We're facing one of the greatest climate challenges that we've ever faced. A month ago, my daughter said to me, you know, you're going to die of old age, but I'm going to die from the effects of climate change. And that indicates how human activity on our planet, planet ocean, has been affected in a way which we need to educate people about rather than saying it's so-and-so's fault or so-and-so's fault. And so education is the core reason as to why we as an aquarium exist alongside conservation and more recently research as well. Right. 
And so we are actually sitting in the classroom setting or one of the classroom settings um, that you have created for the purpose of trying to educate these masses. Uh, For our listeners, what you're hearing in the background, because typically we record this program in a studio, but uh, we are on the road uh, with, with the show right now. So you're hearing the aquarium pumps in a really, really innovative classroom that has been created. We'll talk about the program in a a moment, but Russell, could you share with our listeners, describe what they're hearing in terms of the way you you laid this classroom setting out for anybody that wants to do a dedicated applied classroom learning setting. Explain what's here. We had an eight meter by 11 meter shell room. We thought, what could we do with this? We then got... Sea, fresh seawater that we were pumping through the building in any case, and we've got air. We then designed workstations, which are in a way half moon, but they are six-sided. Mm-hmm. Right. And what it allows is for cooperative learning to take place. Students can have a discussion, but there are no students that have their back to the presenter because the side of the workstation facing the presenter is a flat side, and you'll see that on the pictures that are associated with this podcast. Yeah, the, the photos will be posted online, yeah. And on each of these uh, workstations, there is a, a tank. The tank inside there will be animals such as anemones, uh, sea stars, and um, sea urchins. And it is an opportunity for the students to touch and connect with the marine environment. We're so conscious after the work done by Richard Louvre about connecting children to nature, Mm -hmm. the last child in the woods, saving our children from nature deficit disorder. There is no point in doing environmental education, no matter what John Muir said, or what all the people from Wisconsin who came out of that (laughs) whole field of environmental education. There's no point in doing it, unless you can connect children, adults, the learning community with nature. So children can literally put their fingers into the water and they can then taste that it is salt water. And by doing that, we are connecting them. As I've just splashed you, we're connecting <laughs> you with nature. Exactly. And we we know that frequently at the Past Foundation and over and over again, you've heard through Learning Unboxed many, many people talking about the importance of the children having, no matter what age, and I use children loosely, um, you know, even, even as adults, right? We, we learn best when we're actually able to touch, to feel, to smell, to experience. And right. so by literally moving the teaching and learning out of the traditional mindset and into a very immersive mindset, we, we know that the kids will remember the things that you teach them here. So let's talk a little bit about the program that you created. You have an amazing ecosystem. This aquarium sits um, in a location that makes it very easy for you to teach so many different things because of the environmental settings. So let's talk about the program itself. So you have a very comprehensive marine sciences program that has multiple components, different age levels, different opportunities to engage. Why don't we talk about that a little bit? Because you created this program along with 
the staff and, and everybody here, but this is kind of the, the brainchild, if you will. Yes, it was 19 years ago <laughs> where I walked here into here, and this was a computer lab. And so we the got space we're sitting in was a computer lab, it was. which was very sterile, it I would was. imagine. So this and is far more engaging. Had, you remember CD-ROM days? Yeah. That's what <laughs> so the entry level of learning within this aquarium is students arrive, and it can be students from early childhood, grade R, we call it. I mm -hmm. think you call it K in America. Correct. Through to what we have is university students. You might call them college or mm -hmm. university students. I'm not sure exactly how one would define it. So you've got students who arrive here, and they typically have a 45-minute lesson. Typical zoo, aquarium-type lesson. On the... Smart board, they will be shown a PowerPoint. Linked to that are clips, little video clips, just short ones that highlight certain learning patterns and programs that we do. The students are able to touch and taste the water, touch and experience the textures, experience the colors if they're sighted of these animals, and be able to connect in a way where we give them what we call an underwater wonders experience. That is from K through 12 and beyond. And, and these wonders? It's up to the entry level of the, the children. Going back to the work of the University of Wisconsin, Hungerford and Folk in 1997 wrote about the entry level of your students. Mm -hmm. And... We have got qualified school certified teachers. That's really an important element of our program. Mm -hmm. We have over six of them. You've met one of them, one Deswa. These are people who, when they are teaching, are able to assess what is the entry level mm -hmm. of the prior knowledge, the previous experience of the group that has come in. Any program like that cannot be developed just for one individual. Not everybody in a class is a clone of another. Right. Because of all the personality theory you can read about in psychology, we understand if we've got a, a group of 60 students or 35 students, we have got 35 personalities walking in. Each of those personalities learn in a different way. A certain cohort of them will be tactile learners. A certain cohort of them will be visual mm -hmm. and some will be verbal and some will be numerate in the way in which they prefer learning. We endeavor to teach with a range of methodologies that then allows our pedagogy to connect with them. And it's very, very inquiry-based by design. Exactly. When we teach, we do not give information. Right. We ask questions mm -hmm. so that we can elicit information. That's a, a key inductive pedagogical approach. So I've explained that's the entry level. Then, and very briefly, we have got a series of specialist courses. Grade 6, grade 7, grade 8, 9, grade 10, and then grade 11. The grade six course is a fun introduction to marine sciences, lots of fun experiments, lots of hands-on 
engagement. We had a group of students that left an hour ago. That is four Saturdays or four school holiday days. Then we have the grade eight, a seven course, which is an environmental footprint course. No point in doing any education right. unless we are aware of our environmental footprint and what impact we are having on this planet and to teach about environmental responsibility. The grade seven, the grade eight course and the grade nine courses are fairly similar. They are linked very closely to our marine sciences curriculum that we've written. Mm -hmm. And we start bringing in the curriculum in the way in which we introduce these students to, we encourage them to study maths and science from grade 10 and 11 and 12. And we do lots of experiments um, inquiry-based work, and that typically is a five-day course. And then the grade 10 course is a volunteer program course. We teach students to be able to go into the aquarium and serve in the micros at the microscope and the touch pool. And that is the place where we encourage those students to start giving back to the community in the way in which they function. We teach them how to engage with the public. We teach them how to understand what volunteerism is. Very different from America. In America, it's a more resourced place. People have got lots more funds and disposable income. So for children who typically would go out and work in their school holidays in order to just help their parents buy food, not help their parents mm -hmm. have or themselves have extra disposable income, to volunteer and to understand that it's a give-back time is a critical important. Uh, important mm -hmm. point for them. Then lastly, our grade 11 course. We have found university professors to have indicated that our curriculum has got gaps of what they've expected students to know mm -hmm. when they sit in the first year in a zoology class for marine biology or an oceanography class. So are students not getting those, those skills, that content, I guess, really less skills, more content in the regular school setting? They're getting it here. So when they move on, just, just to help our listeners understand, is that a gap that's coming specifically or that was identified within the aquarium setting or generally across the educational sort of system within Cape Town and South Africa? We found that feedback from the University of Cape Town, the University of Stellenbosch. Okay. So the four universities mm -hmm. of our state called the province of the Western Cape. Right. However, as we've written this material, we are finding that this message resonates with our colleagues in Bangladesh, mm -hmm. our colleagues in China, Taiwan, United States. It's and universal. Canada. It's absolutely fabulous. There is a lack of what I think these university professors have indicated is a lack of content knowledge that is what we call core content. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you, for example, want to do algebra, you cannot do that if you haven't drilled and understood your tables. We call it in South Africa, I'm mm -hmm. sure in America yeah. it's similar. If you don't know your tables and bonds, you can't factorize. So how can you do algebra? In the same way, how can you do marine sciences at university level if you don't understand the key concepts of salinity, of pH, mm -hmm. of water quality, of eutrophication, for example, and why excess nutrients are actually a pollutant in Chesapeake Bay or whichever bay you're going to be referring to? 
You also need to understand the basic understanding of the dynamics of how animals have evolved and come into being. We have as a core content, right from grade six, teaching children about adaptations and how uh, animals have evolved and been in place. If they get stuck into that for the first time in grade 10, then they don't have the fundamental understanding of how the planet came to be, the origin of the planet and the origin of how the salt reached seawater and mm-hmm. all of the dynamics of the oceans as we know them mm-hmm. and they are today. So on our advisory board for our curriculum that we've designed, um, which has 85 topics leading around a whole range of fields, which we'll probably get to, that curriculum actually feeds us to understand what we can do to set people up from our advisory board, include this content, exclude that content, so that we've got a good basis of core knowledge that students will be able to enter university Mm -hmm. system and be able to speak with confidence and to be able to debate with confidence, knowing that they've got the basic understandings at their fingertips. Yeah, it makes it makes it um, so much more relevant. The kids who come, for example, and in, in the sixth grade, do they typically then come and do multiple components of the program? Or is the program structured in such a way that, say, a school group that comes in the sixth grade may not come again until the ninth or tenth grade? What do you traditionally see with this? When we have students from a particular school, when they come in, they could come 12 years in a row and uh-huh. they will do a different program each time. Right, each of the different grade levels. It depends on the school teacher that's facilitating, uh-huh. connects with our aquarium teachers, uh-huh. and that's how we design the program. The courses that we offered, uh-huh. these courses are very specialized. We accept only 55 students. We normally get applications from 400 students. We will only take two maximum per school. Okay. So that there is a diversity in terms of demographics, Mm -hmm. in terms of race, Mm -hmm. in terms of where these students come from socioeconomically. Sure, sure. So we have a rainbow nation kind of representation Mm -hmm. within the classroom. That's purposefully done. Yeah. Because we have a great intent of... um, being relevant from a sociological perspective in our education basis. Right. right. The um, past innovation lab structured very much like that. So we try to make sure we have the greatest diversity of thought, of experience, of, 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 of folks participating. Yes. Absolutely. So the key thing we try and encourage these students to do is, so they arrive in grade six, they do the grade six course. Then the following year, they apply to do the grade seven course. They won't necessarily get in. Okay. And then the 8 and the 9, the 10, and then the 11. And what what would you say is the percentage of students that start in the 6th and go all the way through? Well, we probably get about a 20% retention rate mm-hmm. within that. Over the yeah. course of that, that length of time. And, yeah. and the students don't necessarily go and do marine biology. This morning, we had two volunteers assisting us. They were marine biologists marine science students about five years ago. Mm-hmm. The one is doing maritime law. Oh. 
The other one is doing ecosystem studies in marine biology. And actually, the previous course we had, we had somebody doing medicine. Mm -hmm. So the basis of what they're learning is it's all connected. Oh, absolutely. And incredibly um, powerful for those those participants. And I love the fact that you you encourage the students who are able to to come back and volunteer um, in the aquarium itself. Um, you know, we've seen time and time again in our research and our own applied experience that you know when students are actually able to become the teacher, mm-hmm. even in that setting, that the learning is that much deeper. You you know that it's stuck. Yes. It's very powerful for when those participants. When we do a course, like this morning's course, the first thing those students do when they're about to do a course is they do a pre-test. Yeah. And then that identical yeah. assessment is offered at the end of the course. We pre and post, yeah. The pre-test uh, to be an average score of about 20 to 30%, mm-hmm. and we expect the post-test to be have an average of 80%. Right. Separate from that, right. every morning, the students do an assessment on the previous day's work. Okay. And that score is recorded on the certificate they get at the end. Mm-hmm. Those who want to do really well, who want to get 80%, we've asked them to do an extra component, a certain number of hours volunteering. Mm-hmm. But they also need to give back to the community. So they need to have organized a beach cleanup themselves. Mm-hmm or some eco-club activity. Mm -hmm. So they need to go back to their schools and they need to give a program either in their class Mm -hmm. or their school assembly. And that's the way they they contribute back into the community from which they, they, they come from. The other thing that we ask them to do in the grade six, no, the grade seven course, is they come back to the aquarium and in the auditorium, they do presentations on the work that they've been done at school. So they show that they have done a follow-up and they've done some kind of um, really community, Mm -hmm. um, some contribution to their community. Yeah, I love that you've incorporated the authentic audience component. Um, again, that is so so much more meaningful. You know, I tell teachers all the time, um, you know, an audience of one is great, but who cares? You know, at the end of the day. And so the fact that you have them go back and, and doing service projects or presentations after school and then back here again, you're expanding the audience that, that makes the relevancy of what you're teaching them so yeah. much more powerful. And we see repeatedly that when schools, teachers, community centers, museums, and aquariums incorporate that somehow in their programming, that you have a much, much greater retention of knowledge. Yeah, and I think actually giving these students a an undertaking that they need mm, to take absolutely. it seriously and they must study, even though it's a holiday program, they must study every evening. It's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. We we unashamedly have made this an academic program. Yeah. And so academically they need to study. And mm-hmm. um, we've had students flying in, one from Philippines, one from Vancouver. We had one flying from our East Coast. A young lady in a wheelchair whose parents came through with her and she was sitting there at the back for the course and loved this course, Mm -hmm. loved the participation. Mm -hmm. Actually, her apparent disability was really a way in which she was brought into the community in a beautiful way Mm -hmm. because 
everybody was able to in some way contribute to sure. helping her helping her get mm-hmm. around the aquarium, either push her mm-hmm. around the aquarium mm-hmm. in a wheelchair. And still be able to participate. And again, the setup that you've created has made it very accessible. So yes. in that sense. So when what 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 about the what about the teachers outside of your own teachers and a teacher who's bringing students specifically in? Do you do a lot of trying to take your programming and instill at least components of the content into your mainstream education, at least in the surrounding area, through teacher professional development or workshops? How does that all work for you here at the aquarium? In two thousand two thousand and 2000 to 2005, we used to run teachers' workshops, and we had up to 700 teachers mm-hmm. participating in our teachers' workshops. Alongside that, our state province had teacher training, and we eventually found that these teachers were workshopped out. Yeah. They, so they, they didn't participate. We were challenged with this whole program, and so we end up, ended up thinking quite long and hard about how we would mm-hmm. affect the formal education landscape. And we were approached by district officials and state or provincial officials saying, you're doing so much really valuable content in your courses, you need to write a curriculum. Now, unlike what is happening in America, in America, you can do a whole range of all sorts of subjects. There are only 27 subjects that you can do from grade 10 to grade 12 in South Africa. Okay. So you, in grade 10, have to decide on six subjects. And those are the only subjects you take from grade 10 through to grade 11 through to grade 12. Wow. So you would say, take English and Kosa and maths and physical sciences. Um, You might take life sciences, you might take geography, and then all students have to do life orientation as as the Mm -hmm. seventh subject. Of those six subjects, you've only got 27 subjects to choose from. Right. What we have done is we've written a 27th subject, which we now have called marine sciences. And that is not for our province, the Western Cape. It is for the Eastern Cape, for KwaZulu-Natal, for Kauteng. So the whole country. You could choose this, marine sciences, as one of your six. Exactly. In grade, starting in grade 10, and you would carry it through through grade 12, no matter where you're from within South Africa. But the school has to apply for students in their school to do it. Ah, and, so, and a teacher, a local teacher, a teacher in the school is the primary instructor? Yes. So they will then be trained by us. Ah, so that teacher in that school, in that remote location, not in, I say remote, just not in Cape Town, yes. comes, trains with you and your staff, learns to do and deliver the curriculum. Yeah, so we've undertaken wow. for the introduction of this course. It's fantastic because our South African, the equivalent of a federal Mm-hmm. gazetted law legislation. Right. It was signed into law last Friday. Wow. So we are so close to having it to be implemented in 2020. 
In the initial phase, we at the Two Oceans Aquarium have undertaken to be the support for the teaching community. Mm -hmm. We'll only start with 20 schools in the beginning. And each of the schools will have a champion. So there are a couple of criteria that we've set in, in place for a school to be offering marine sciences. Okay. The first is it must have a functioning school management team okay. and a parent board of governors. Mm-hmm. must be functional. There must not be a situation where taking marine sciences detracts from the academic standing of the school. There must be a champion principal. There must be a champion teacher to run with it. Okay. There also must be the undertaking to train up junior teachers so that if that teacher was to leave, there will be a sustainable approach within the school. So you're building internal capacity for purposes of sustainability. Exactly. Excellent. Then what we will do is we will have a video Skype meeting with mm-hmm. our staff. Who are they? From every one of those schools, they will have a video conference call mm-hmm. every Monday evening, and we will discuss the teaching for the week. Okay. And who's doing which assessment can you from this place, from this province, share with another person Mm -hmm. from this province? This is an inland province. We don't have this access. How do we deal with this? Can we, as the Two Oceans Aquarium, courier equipment to the inland Mm -hmm. province, how do we make sure that everybody is able to participate adequately within it? So that is a kind of marine sciences teacher training that will happen. We've written the curriculum. We give them copies of the curriculum. They can download it. And it is a very balanced Mm -hmm. reflection of our courses, which really was an enrichment from our one or 45-minute lesson that we would offer here at the aquarium. For for your your regular school visitors. How, so this is just... Have you had this first group of 20 schools or this will start this coming academic year? We've had three year? schools this year. Okay. Piloting Pilot. It. Okay. And then probably we won't have 20 next year. We might have one school in Gauteng. We might have one school at Durban in the East Coast, mm-hmm. Kwazulu Natal area. And we're thinking maybe six schools in the Western Cape. Yeah? Okay. So it might be a maximum of 10 schools in the first year round next year. Right. But we have piloted it where we have gone out to schools who, or schools which are the pilot schools and we're offering this, this program to mm-hmm. on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons mm-hmm. for two hours on each afternoon. And that then makes up what the requirement of the curriculum is. It needs to be a four-hour training program per week for 40 weeks of the year. Okay, for the students, four hours a week of exposure to the program. Yes. Yeah. Um, It's not always working, so we now are encouraging students uh, to accept that they'll need to do six hours so that four hours actually happens. Right, right. So sport. In in South Africa, there's a different approach to sport. Many of the sports are run by schools. Right. So basically, you'll have a netball or a hockey field hockey, I think you call it, um, uh, or a rugby, which is union rugby, which is not like your football. Mm-hmm. It's more like a British rugby approach. Canadian people would understand it because they've got a rugby team. So all of this is in the school program. 
And to have an extramural club like this, it is Im- impacted upon by the sports and the other activities. Mm-hmm. Um, so in essence, we've had to try and find a way through this. And we've now suggested that they need to have three hours twice a week. Right, right. And so as the, as the program then, as you crafted the program and your experience with the program of moving it from here at the aquarium into the field, if you will, into these schools, um, you know, I, we talk with schools all the time, uh, you know, as they take on new programs. And there's a lot of trepidation, especially of teachers who are feeling overwhelmed by the task at hand. They're everyday teaching I have to do. And now you're asking for, for one more thing from this champion teacher to be able to do. And, and so having that champion administrator clearly is key. We see the same thing when you bring new programs in. If the administration is not fully on board, it's never, ever going to be successful. So I would say good on you for making that a requirement. But, but in addition to the supports, yeah. I want to come in there. Yeah. The objectives of the subject are very clear that it has to be a standalone subject. When somebody studies history at the school mm-hmm. level, they don't become a professor of history. One appreciates that they're going to pick up skills that the history curriculum is teaching them. Right. They have an understanding of how to write an essay. They understand of the causes of a particular human event and the effects of one human event and how that impacts on human rights, how it impacts on human dignity, how this particular march, whether it was in Moscow or in Martin Luther King's time, that march had this impact on the community. Mm -hmm. And so they have this understanding. That is the skill we leave them as they go through in life Mm -hmm. with. And so we believe that these are standalone skills that can stand alone It's mental constructs. It's the core knowledge we've discussed. We need these students to gain confidence. We also teach on a purposeful level multidisciplinarity. Mm -hmm. We do not want to have people in the medical field anymore who only think about the heart and not about the other organs within the body. We need students to understand a level of multidisciplinarity. And and that is what we are trying to teach. We also are trying to teach sensitivity. Gone are the days when we must assume that sensitivity is going to be absorbed Mm -hmm. through families or an understanding with nature. We want to teach children and students to understand that this is a special animal. If I'm going to be involved with any kind of seafood, let's see that we're doing it responsibly because I don't want to eat the last specimen of that particular right. species. Right. So that's really broadly an important level of what this curriculum is about. It stands alone with its specific skills. To get back to your point about what teachers must take on, Teachers are doing too much. And so we would encourage the teachers not to take on this course to teach it unless they drop something else. Mm -hmm. So there was a a teacher the other day that was thinking, 
we as a school might drop one of the subjects mm -hmm. and replace that subject. Um, oh, one of the 26, so it could be history or it right. could be geography. I won't mention the name here. And that subject will then no longer be taught right. in the school because less students are wanting to take it, for example. Right, right. So we want to be able to pace our education partners, and those are the teachers, the champion teachers at the school, mm -hmm. to be able to pace themselves through the content. Exactly. We talk about that as well because, I, again, like I said, I, it's, it's a query that I get frequently um, through the work that we do. And we, we're always advocating that it's not an add-on. You're replacing something mm -hmm. else. Yes. with this new program, whatever it happens to be, this new initiative, this new endeavor, yes. um, to prevent that overload? Well, in education internationally, we fight the teacher burnout. We do. And in addressing that, we need to make sure that a subject is introduced in a way where there is a facilitation of allowing people to teach in a way where they take off the role of feeling they are the specialists. Exactly. They're a facilitator of learning. They exactly. facilitate. And so in this curriculum, when you read it, you will see there's a line that said, says that teachers or students should not be dependent on their teacher right. for their performance. Right. They are their primary teacher. Hence, this is why we're burning the candle at both ends at the moment. Mm -hmm. We are, for all 85 topics of this curriculum, we have done the following. We have set on a Google Drive, classroom Google Drive, the curriculum. Mm -hmm. We then have a 3 to 11, sometimes 15-page elucidation that the students can pick up and so that's like what we would in the old days call a textbook. Okay. But this is not a paper-based curriculum. We, we are not going to print any textbooks. No corporate is going to make lots of money right. out of selling paper with marine sciences content on it, which then dictates that we will be using old, outdated methods and ideas because that's on the paper that's been printed that has called the textbook that then dictates what we learn. Right. So the next thing that we have is a PowerPoint that is prepared that the students can go through and look at images that we've tried to get a local illustrator to put together. And all of our illustrations, all of our content and the elucidation, we've tried to Africanize it in a way where it doesn't have the context of, for example, when many American textbooks launch into an entry of what is life like under the sea, they start with Titanic. Right. Now, what does the Titanic mean for an African child in South Africa? Very little. It is a leastest group of people with respect to all the people that did die in that event. And I'm very sorry that that ended up happening and all of the things that Captain Smith did and whatever that happened, that really 
isn't an Africanized context. Correct. Plate tectonics. When we teach plate tectonics to grade sixes or whatever, we do not want to start with the San Andreas Fault. Right. We start with the African Rift Valley. It has to be culturally it's relevant. contextualized yeah. to the South African context. Absolutely. Hence, that's, that's elements in the PowerPoints and mm-hmm. the illustration. The other thing we have is a glossary. So every word in the, if I can call it an ebook textbook, when we scan over it, we'll see there is a word, and you don't know the meaning, we've written a glossary for each of the words there. We also then give a series of questions which are likely questions that students can be asked. So out of all of this, what we're doing is we've got a curriculum that the children can learn off a cell phone. Mm -hmm. All of that will be off a cell phone and they'll be able to pick up through being centered by a social media, WhatsApp or Facebook. They can pick up on the PowerPoint. They can pick up on the glossary and all that's needed. So it's ready to roll. It's ready to roll. Um, there are four pillars of this curriculum. Marine biology, oceanography, humans in the oceans, and ocean ecosystems. Mm. Humans in the ocean looks at marine protected areas, for yeah. example. Um, ecosystems would look at kelp forests, would look at open ocean forests, um, not for open ocean um, ecosystems. And marine biology looks at the evolutionary process right from protists through to mammals. And that is the basis of the animals. When we look at the oceanology section, we look, and I've mentioned pH, and we've looked at salinity, and we've looked at currents. And so the oceanology, the physical oceanology, then you also touch on a little bit of physics like the gas laws, Boyle's law, and so forth, so that if students go into diving, they understand the basics of diving sciences. That's really remarkable and incredibly robust. So thank you very much, Russell, for taking time to spend with me. I have no doubt our listeners will be reaching out to you. Um, I, I, I can think of a handful of teachers that I've encountered over the years that I know will want, how do I get my hands on this? You know, how could we possibly you know, um, be able to utilize components of that? Yes, so if they go to education.gov.za, or we call it ZA, you then click on the curriculum button and you search for Marine Sciences Caps, you will find this document. I will make sure that we we go find it and we put a link out there. And then if anyone wants to contact us, they can email me at Russell two S's, two L's, dot Stevens with a V, at aquarium, dot C-O, dot Z-A. I'll also post that link as well. Good. Absolutely. So they can just send an email and we'll hope to be able to connect with them, connect with you through your radio mm-hmm. uh, stream station, and we will be able to do whatever it takes to make, as the National Marine Educators Association States to make the world of water fresh and salt known mm-hmm. to deal with this incredible need with which is identified within the United States of America and many others of ocean literacy and the need to um, 
enhance ocean content into curricula worldwide. And then at the same time, many of the developing countries have picked up on the need to elevate student understanding so they can participate within an ocean economy, the blue economy, Mm -hmm. which is looking forward to the future. And we need to do it wisely. We need to do it sustainably. And we need to do it gently. And we need to do it. And we need to do it quickly. And certainly, um, you know, as a, as a maritime archaeologist, uh, my own passion, um, you know, with a world of water, I certainly thank you for the work that you're doing. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. It's uh, really been great to be able to have this conversation and wonderful to share yeah. what has meant so much to us that we've invested our lives and our hearts into. And uh, we're really privileged that it's going to be a go-ahead now in South Africa, one of the first countries internationally that has a curriculum of this standing. Absolutely. Well done and bravo. And again, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.